Well, tonight our series is coming to a close. Um, thank you for joining me just in a, a short series, just spending time looking at just the bride of Christ, looking at the universal body, but spending much time focusing on the local church, the local body of Christ. Tonight, even before I share, I would, I would like to say that the topic that I'm talking about tonight, there's so much I could have said. As, as I was preparing, I was just battling and I was writing page after page and I was like, man, I don't think the people in the evening service would like to be here for three hours. So I tried, I tried to put as much in as I could, but, but I'd like to encourage you that the Bible says a lot about dealing with conflict. The Bible says a lot about dealing with the sores that are in the local church. And, and today I'd like us to, to talk about the sores that bring pain to the local church. Even from the outset, I'd like to acknowledge the fact that church hurt is real. Even if you and I will not agree with how you responded to church hurt, or you and I might not agree with how you handled the situation, but I, I want to say off the outset that I acknowledge that the hurt is real because sin is real. It also hurts because the person who hurt you is a person that you share a deep bond with in Christ. It is someone who is a co-heir of the kingdom of heaven. It is someone with whom you share the spirit of God with. They should know better. And because of this, I've also noticed that many, because they've been offended by a believer in the local church, they have thus concluded that the whole church has offended me and therefore I am going to abandon the bride of Christ. But this response is problematic. It is problematic because we have a conundrum in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10. In Ephesians chapter 3 verse 10 it says, God's intent was that now... Through the church, through his body, through the local church, the manifold, sorry, the universal church, which expresses itself in the, in the local church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Verse 11, according to the eternal purpose that he has accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. So then, what is the conundrum? What, what is the, the potential problem that we have? The problem is that God has left the task of proclaiming His wisdom, proclaiming the manifold wisdom of God. He has left that task to sinners. God intends that we show off in unity as the local church His manifold power and wisdom. God has left this great task of displaying the glory of His perfect character to imperfect beings who are prone to wonder. So then, how do we navigate these waters knowing that conflict is inevitable. Turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 and we'll read verse 12. Colossians chapter 3 and we'll start our reading from verse 12. Verse 12 reads, 
Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and, and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Verse 15, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Verse 17, And whatever you do, whether in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Join me as I pray. Heavenly Father, just even before I start, I want to say thank you for the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for the message of Jesus Christ and the reality of Jesus Christ who became a man. He bore our sins on his body. He died on that cross. He was buried. And on the third day, he was risen again. Lord Jesus Christ was the perfect substitute. He, was, he paid the price that we owed for our sins. Thank you that through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can be reconciled with you. And because we have been reconciled with you, God, we can be reconciled one with another. So God, I pray even as I share your word, that God, if there's someone here, Lord, who is carrying a burden of, of just a, a, either an unrepentant heart or a heart where they are withholding forgiveness or just confusion as to how to deal with, with conflict that they're currently going through. Lord Jesus, I pray that by your Spirit and through your Word that tonight you would speak to them. I pray even as we celebrate your table tonight that you'd show us that beautiful image, that beautiful symbol of a great debt that was paid for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that, Lord, what man does to us is nothing compared to what we did to you in our sins. So, God, I pray that you'd use me, speak through me. I pray, Father, that I would not speak um, in my own wisdom. But, God, may I stay in line with your word. And I pray, Lord, as well, that just your word would really settle in our hearts, that we would seek to apply it in our lives. As we say, we believe that your word is sufficient and your word is our authority. So, Lord, may we act as thus, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So even as I prepared this, I remembered words that I've, I've heard from Christians before. I've heard Christians say, hey, I'm saved, but if you try me, you'll catch these hands. In fact, there's even a song out there where the guy says, try Jesus, but not me, because I throw hands. Have you ever felt that way when that guy just drives past you on the freeway? Oh man, I believe in Jesus, but ish. You see, 
I believe that, that we have adopted a, a worldly view of approaching and dealing with conflict or difficult people because we want to protect our egos, we want to protect our pride, and we do this at the expense of the bride of Christ. God has called us to a higher calling. He has called us to be those who are ambassadors of reconciliation. He has called us to be peacekeepers. And this higher calling that he has called us to is why I've titled my first point, Christians are to respond differently to grievances and conflict because you are a believer. A simple point. Respond differently to grievances and, and conflict because you are a believer. You see, Paul makes a, an important statement here. And what Paul is saying in verses 12 to verse 17 is that you will be able to be compassionate, you'll be able to be kind, you'll be able to be bearing and forgiving if you are actively putting to death the deeds of your flesh. If you read the verses above, that's what he says. He says, put off these things and actively put on Christ and his righteousness. What Paul is saying is that if you are actively putting to death, mortifying immor immor sorry, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, he says we need to kill them because on account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. He then says in verse 7, in these things you once walked when you were living in them, but not anymore. So now you must put them away. Put away anger, put away wrath, put away malice, put away slander, put away obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices. Did you notice that these things that the Apostle Paul was mentioning are things that can affect community negatively if you do not put them off? They affect our relationships. So Paul is saying, put these practices away because behold, the new has come. In verse 10, he says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of his creator. So he's saying, church, in the new self, there is unity. Because it says in verse 11, here in the new self, as a believer who is being renewed into the knowledge of Jesus, who is being renewed by the knowledge of Jesus Christ, he says, here... There is not Greek and Jew, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That's the standard. What Paul is saying is that now that you are a child of God who was chosen before the foundations of the world for good works, you are called to be holy. And that holiness is a separateness from sin, a separateness from Satan, and a separateness from the world. And then as you are separated from these things, you move to loving God as one who has been loved by God. Now because you have been loved by God and you have put on the new self that is being chiseled into the image of Christ, he says, clothe yourselves, put on these things. What are these things? He says, put on compassion, put on kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Again, like the negative qualities, 
These are qualities that express themselves within community. These are seen and are found in those who are in Christ. These are the sirens that tell us of the disposition of our hearts. That heart of stone is gone. The heart of flesh is here. Therefore, I'm compassionate, I'm kind, I'm humble, I'm gentle, and I am patient. Compassion here. This is the idea of being tender-hearted towards one another. It is almost like when you go into the doctor's office and he looks at you and he sees... There's no hope. Hey, this is bad. And yet, he still responds with a tender touch. The doctor's in the house. He, he also says, put on kindness. Have you noticed that the older your parents get, they are getting softer? Scratch that. Let's not call them softer. I mean, they are becoming more lenient. I've noticed with my own parents, they're not as strict as they were before. They're now more open to a lot of different things, and they're open to doing a lot of different things. That's the idea of kindness here. It is used of wine which has grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. It's the idea that I want to see my neighbor's good as much as I want to see my own good. Humility, gentleness, and patience. A commentator wrote, Humility is the parent of both gentleness and patience. Gentleness shows how humility will affect my actions towards others. I will not dominate, I will not manipulate or coerce for my own ends, even if I have the power and the ability to do so. Patience. Patience shows how humility will affect my reactions towards others. I will not become impatient. I will not become short or filled with resentment towards the weaknesses and the sins of others. This is what Christ is calling us to. Put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And these things are well expressed within community. Paul then calls us to do two things. In verse 13, he calls us first to bear with one another. He calls us to bear with one another. Bearing with one another means taking responsibility for again and again. It is the idea to be continually and patiently enduring, tolerating, or being patient with one another. You see, most times when we think about bearing with one another, our minds automatically go to the difficult people we have encountered in the church or the difficult people we have encountered in our lives. But what we often forget is that there's somebody else who when they think of difficult people, they are thinking of you. You see, we often are not patient with people in the local church as we are patient with those we socialize with in the world. Church, we will not agree on everything. And can I tell you something? That's okay. We are not all at the same place spiritually and many will have different convictions. We will not always like each other sometimes. We will get under each other's skin at times. But isn't that what happens when you get into a relationship with someone? Remember when there was that guy or that girl that you were really close friends with? 
and then you decided to date, and then you realized, man, this friend was so perfect until we dated. You see, that's what happens when we grow in relationship. As we grow in holding each other accountable, we start to see the wrinkles. We start to see the cracks in each other. That's what happens in marriage. You, you proposed. It was this perfect thing. All you imagined about marriage was roses and petals and flowers and sunshine. In the second week of marriage, it's, you didn't put down the toilet seat. You see, that's just the reality. The longer we spend time together, the deeper we grow in our relationships, we start to crack, wrinkles start to show, and so we, le- we need to learn tools on how to conflict manage, how to manage the conflict, how to bear with one another, because because we are sinful, conflict is inevitable. So bearing one another is an important part of expressing love properly in the local church. There is no room, sorry, there is no one in this room, and I can say this with much assurance, including myself, there is no one in this room that is perfect. There is no one in this room who is without sin. We are all together striving to be more like Christ. At the foot of the cross, we are all equally kneeling before Jesus, pleading for his mercy and his grace, and because of that, we need to learn to be more patient with each other. We need to learn to bear with one another. We need to remember that church, we fail God often and and inevitably because we fail God, it is a definite fact we will fail each other. So we often get impatient with God and his building of the supernatural community which is not dependent on similarities as we said in the first sermon that what we do is we start fostering communities or start searching for communities that are based on similarities or that are based on consumerism and are essentially communities that are gospel plus communities. I want to tell you something today. If, if you leave the local church be, be, be because of somebody stepped on my toes or, or, or because you don't want to reconcile or, or because you don't want to forgive someone and you want to look for a different church where you find people who are exactly like you, you'll find things that you love, what is going to happen is that place will not edify you because that different person that God has placed in the local church is for the purpose that they will edify you and show you your own flaws but I also want to tell you that if you do find that perfect church like an old man once told me do not join it (laughs) for in joining that local church you will be the one to spoil it because you will join it with your sin the second thing that Paul calls us to do he calls us to forgive one another he says in verse 14 forgive one another If any of you have a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. That's the standard. God forgave me, therefore I am called to forgive. We mentioned last week that the Lord's table brings the many to the one. And that one is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord's table is a table of fellowship. 
It is where we come together to remember Christ's death, which atoned for our sins. As you gather around the Lord's table, we remember that our debts have been forgiven. They have been paid for, so we too can forgive. We remember his love for an imperfect being like me, so I love imperfect beings like you. Church, it is the gospel that completely changes our hearts and the gospel alone. It is at the root. It is, it, it is, it is the root of, of what will bring us together. The gospel frees you to live the self-sacrificial, happy, and peaceful life that is possible. It is possible to live a life amongst sinners where we are constantly forgiving one another. Church, to say that I cannot forgive someone is evidence of a heart of stone and not a heart of flesh. It is to say that what matters to God doesn't matter to me. And I want you to know that it puts you in a compromising position when you come to worship God. For consider the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5 verse 23. Jesus says, If therefore you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there at the altar you remember that your brother has something against you, Jesus says, leave your offering there before the altar, go your way, first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. You see, Jesus took unity and reconciliation seriously. Notice that he said there, he says that if you remember that your brother has something against you, you leave your offering and be reconciled to them. Church, I believe that the Spirit of God convicts us countless times to make things right with the brethren. He reminds you countless times that, hey, Jabu, something's not right between you and so and so. But what happens is, in our sin, we refuse to do so, saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to wait for so and so to come to me. Oops, sorry. Jesus is saying here, church, there is work to do. There is work to do in building the kingdom of Christ and for our worship and for our service to be unhindered, church, as much as it depends on you, seek peace. Be a peacekeeper. Seek reconciliation with your brother or sister in Christ. You see, the danger with our sinful hearts is that we feel like revenge belongs to us. When a member of the body of Christ hurts me, I want to cut them off. I want to cut off that part of the body before I even try to seek reconciliation. It feels like revenge is always the right thing to do. We assess the damage that has been done to me, and what I do is I seek to inflict the same or more damage to them. To them. We say, I can't let them get away with it. I can't let them get away with what they've done to me. They don't deserve my kindness. They don't deserve my grace. They don't deserve my mercy. They don't deserve my forgiveness. And believers, do you ever hear the irony in what we're saying? All of Christianity centers on God's mercy towards us. 
It centers on God's grace for us. God withheld what we rightly deserved, His wrath. He gave us what we did not deserve, His grace. And as a result, God has called us to love as we have been loved. He calls us to show mercy as we have received mercy. He calls us to be gracious as we have received the grace of God. But again, the problem is we are big receivers of grace but we are not big givers of grace. Like the man in the parable, we, we are forgiven a great debt, but we withhold forgiveness from someone who owes us a lesser debt than the debt that we owed to God. So church, is it enough for you that God said he will take care of it? Do you honestly believe that God needs your help to judge people? Do you believe that God needs your help to pay revenge? Or are you not content with his promise where he calls the beloved, never avenge yourself? He says this in Romans 14. He says, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Jesus literally said, leave it to me, I got you. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And sometimes we act, that it is a, we act as if it's a loss to trust in God. Forgetting that this is the God who knows the intents of the hearts of men. He liberates us to freely love each other, knowing that He will justly, better than we, will, than we ever can, He will justly deal with those who have offended you. Your focus is to do good, overcome evil with good, as Jesus did in His time here on earth. Quick question. When was the last time revenge ever really helped the situation. So as some of you know, you've probably even seen today, I am well acquainted with pain in my body. I have good stints of health, but those good stints, I always meet them with suspicion. You know that meme where there's that guy looking around the corner like this? Whenever I have good health, I feel like pain is standing around the corner, leaking its lips, saying, look at this fool, I'm coming. Even as I speak, my, my back is sore. But, but that's an alarm that is going off in my body that's reminding me that, hey, Jabu, sin exists in your body. I am a dependent person. I am weak. And man, unfortunately, my body is not as perfect as I'd love it to be or at least as I think it is. Likewise, I know there are some in this room tonight who also have aches and pains in their body. Sometimes we feel as though, man, we could cut it off. In fact, last night, if I could cut off my back, I would have done it. <laughs> but then I realized that I'm, I might need my back. <laughs> but there are instances in the body where there's a part of the body that hurts. And that pain that that pain it is causing to the body could be fatal. And when you go to the hospital, to, to a hospital, you are told that to save the rest of your body, 
you're going to have to cut off this one member of your body. We see this even with the church in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18 is a great passage to help us deal with conflict in the local church. Man, I love the fact that Jesus knew that we would step on each other's toes. So he gave us clear guidelines on what to do when conflict arises. So the first thing, when conflict arises or when somebody offends you or when somebody grieves you, the first thing that you must do before you even have a a conversation in the corridor is you must reach out and confront the offender. Matthew chapter 18 verse 15 says, If your brother sins against you, you go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And listen to this. If he listens to you, praise the Lord for you have gained your brother. If that doesn't work, Christ says, reach out to him with witnesses. He says in verse 16, but if he does not listen to you, you take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two and three witnesses. Now, to clarify, this doesn't mean take a squad and go threaten this guy. (laughs) This just means, hey, there are witnesses that I have come to this brother and this brother is not repentant of his sin. The third thing that Jesus says is, man, if, this, if he's not repented at this point, reach out to the church. In verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he, if he refuses to listen even to the church, the local body of Christ, the rest of the members under the head of Christ, man, then let him be as a Gentile and a tax collector. What Jesus basically says is, Man, be careful, take him out of the church, because like that little cancer in your toe, if you keep it there, it affects the whole body and it can be fatal. So Jesus says the unrepentant person must be taken out. But I also want to say, with all these steps, with all these guidelines that Jesus gave us, he gave us for the sake of reconciliation. He didn't give us for a sake to quickly protocol. All right, I've observed one, two, three, four, quickly and as quick as I can. Let's take him out of the church. That was not the point. The point was we need to win the brother. If the brother is unrepentant, then and only then can we take them out of the church. So if you have sinned against your brother tonight, I want to plead with you. Please do not allow your pride to hinder fellowship. Please don't allow the evil one and his schemes to deceive you, to say, you don't have to forgive them. Don't seek reconciliation. Tonight, I am pleading with you, seek forgiveness. If you don't know how to go about it, if you maybe feel like you've lived this for too long and there's no hope, I want to encourage you, there is hope. If you both believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you both have the Spirit of God in you, man, even come speak to us pastors and elders. We will be happy to help you be reconciled and united with a, with, with a person in the body of Christ. Now the question we we must ask before we move on, how do I know that forgiveness and reconciliation has taken place? Because that's the awkward one, right? I send you a text saying I've forgiven you, and then we come on Sunday and you're like, 
Are we, are we okay? Well, here are a few things I think we can look for. Is there a wedge between you and that person? Do you feel like you are two magnets that are, are repelling against each other? Then reconciliation hasn't really taken place. Can you freely enjoy God's word, fellowship, and songs without a strange tension as you're sitting there worshiping God and you look to your right and you're like, Ish, you chose to sit here out of all places. I'm not saying you'll be best of friends again, but I'm saying that there will be a spirit of harmony, a spirit of we're okay. We can fellowship. We can go together. We can go to war against the world with the gospel of Christ together. We can serve God together. We can do good together because, hey, we have been reconciled. Again, Jesus in Matthew 6 verse 15, he warns us. He says, but if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father in heaven will not forgive you your sins. This is difficult to hear. But remember, all the wrong that we have caused against God and remember that you have been forgiven of that wrong. And I want to encourage you, forgiven people forgive people. Forgiven people forgive people. The second thing I'd like us to consider tonight is ingredients to reconciliation. Ingredients to reconciliation. Verse 14 and 15 he talks about two things, and the first thing he brings up is love. As I was preparing this, I, I remembered a blog that I read a while back, and in that blog there was a paragraph that I thought I'd share with us. In that paragraph, the writer wrote, Love covers a multitude of sins. We know this in 1 Peter 4 verse 8. Therefore, the wisest and safest way forward is to always love. Love as if your life depends on it. For without love, community does not stand. Without, without unity, community becomes almost like a myth. So church at Central, consider the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together. Romans 13 verse 10, again the Apostle Paul says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul again would go on in his letter to the Corinthian church. He would say, you could have all the spiritual gifts, but if you do not have love, you are like a loud sounding cymbal. You're just making a noise. You're piercing to the ear, but you're not a blessing to the heart. So if you want to edify the body of Christ, put on love which unites gentleness, kindness, humility, forbearance, and forgiveness. Without love, these virtues may be disordered and unbalanced. For love keeps gentleness, kindness, humility, forbearance, forgiveness, keeps these in perfect unity. The second thing he calls us the second ingredient, ingredient to reconciliation is peace. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body, you were called to peace. 
Because the good shepherd has called us back into his fold through saving us by faith through grace, we can enjoy harmony amongst ourselves as we go closer to God. Paul specifically says, since as members of one body, he reminds us that we he reminds us that we cannot be in a state of agreement with God without being united amongst ourselves as members in one body. I enjoyed a commentator named Meyer, and what he says about peace, he says this. The apostle says, let it rule. So that's let peace rule. The word means to arbitrate. Whenever there is a doubtful issue to be decided, and by one course your peace may be disturbed, while by another it may be maintained, choose the things that make for peace, whether for yourselves or for others. Let the peace, sorry, let God's peace act as umpire. We read in, in, in Romans chapter 14, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Church, Christian communities must be characterized by peace. As the peace of God is, is within us, that peace that surpasses all understanding, this must lead us to enjoy an outward peace with each other. The peace of God must take our hearts captive that we consider ourselves peacemakers as Jesus called us to in the Beatitudes. So as I close, third and last point, the response of a united community is worship. The response of a united community is worship. He says from verse 15, And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs, from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Four things I'd like us to consider. The first one is the response of a united, of a united Christian community is a grateful church. Three times the Paul, Paul urges us to be thankful. He says, Be thankful for the new man that dwells within you because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. Be thankful that you can be a loving participant in community. Be thankful as you worship God that you are privileged to understand his word, that you can sing with joy and peace that surpasses all understanding. Be thankful that you are able to do and say good things because of the son who was sinned by God. So church of Christ, be thankful. The second thing he calls us, he, he, that you, a United Church responds in, is in the Word, a Word-centered church. A question you must ask yourself is, what are we united to? We are not just called to be united for the sake of it. 
We are united to show the world the effective power of the gospel. We are united to Christ through his word. If we don't let the word of God tabernacle dwell in our hearts, then what is the basis of reconciliation or unity? How can we possibly resolve our issues when subjectivity prevails? Church, opinions, philosophies, and ideologies will fail us every time because they are sand. We need to teach each other God's word. We need to admonish each other using God's word so that we can build a house on the rock. The third thing that we see is a singing church. Ladies, please excuse me for a bit, but my soul was so full yesterday when I heard the man, the men at Frontline praising God together. In fact, it sounded like these men were shouting songs of praise to God. It was so good. I couldn't even take my phone out because I was just consumed by the fellowship in song whilst we were worshiping God. Church, there's something special that God does in our hearts by His Spirit when we worship together in song as a local church. I can ask you the question. Do you remember when you were singing in lockdown just here on your laptop? It's not the same as what happens here. God uses us as we come together to worship Him. He sanctifies us. But sometimes we treat singing like that add-on thing we put into the service. Man, it's just church tradition. I'm not here for songs. I'm just here for the Word. If that's your approach, I want to encourage you tonight. And I want to tell you that singing together, praising God together as a local body is necessary for your sanctification, as is sitting under the preaching of His Word. And to close us, we also notice a Celo Deo Gloria church, a church that glorifies God. Church, I could have said more. I could have spoken more about conflict between us. I could have spoken more about things that hurt the church. But what I decided tonight is to just give us principles. Give us principles for pursuing reconciliation within the local church. Church, God has given us, Central Baptist Church, the local church, the mandate to make known the mystery of His will. He has called us to show off His perfect character, to tell the world of His power and His wisdom, but He has called us not to just do this on our own. He has called us to do it together, in harmony, in unity. So I'm to ask you the question tonight. How are you doing in your quest of reconciliation with your brothers and sisters in Christ? Is there a name that comes to your mind right now as you sit there? Is there a name that comes to your mind of a person that you haven't reconciled with? Of a person that you haven't made things right with? I want to plead with you today, make things right. As much as it depends on you. Don't make the excuses of, yeah, but I know if I go, he's going to say this. You don't know that. (laughs) Yours is to go. 
Go and make right. And as you go, go in a spirit of prayer saying, God, man, I want to win my brother. God, I want to be reconciled with my brother. God, I want to enjoy fellowship with my brother or my sister again. So as I make things right, Lord, I pray that you would go before me, soften both our hearts, take our pride away, and unite us. So God, even as I come before you tonight, Lord, I do pray that you would work in our hearts. God, making right with people is something that is easy to put off. It's easy to procrastinate because, God, it's hard. It's hard to, to humble myself and to go to a brother and say, Brother, have, have I offended you in any way? Or even to go to a brother and say, brother or sister, you actually offended me when you did this or when you said that. And, 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 and this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And I want to be reconciled with you. Can we make things right? God, God, that's not an easy thing because we are sinful people. But God, you have given us your spirit. It is your spirit who enables us to do the very things that in our own flesh we can consider impossible. So God, I do pray that, Lord, I want to talk about specifically here at Central, if, if there is unresolved conflict within the church, with someone in this room, with someone watching the stream, God, I pray that you'd convict their hearts tonight, that they would go and seek to make things right for the sake of winning their brother and being reconciled and enjoying fellowship again, one with another, pursuing Christ. So tonight, even before I close, we are going to be having a communion service. So I'd like to encourage you that in your heart, if, if, if as I was speaking, you felt in your own heart there is unrepentance, I want to give you a moment to just talk to God. Ask God to forgive you for, for offending a brother or even for withholding forgiveness. Ask God to help you to be forgiving as he has forgiven you. So I'm just going to give you a moment to just start by doing that.